for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis' ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com. You want to hunt elk, and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Howdy, howdy, and welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is June 25th, 2019. I'm your host, Eric Clark. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate any reviews that come through and ratings. If you want to leave that stuff on iTunes, that would be super duper cool. I appreciate those. They mean a lot to me. It's how I kind of keep going with this stuff. Um, uh, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring our guest Joe on with Elk Bros and Blue Collar Elk podcast. On the show with me today, Joe, I didn't ask how to pronounce your last name, but it looks like it's Giglia. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Uh, in fact, you wouldn't be surprised <laughs> all the different things I get on that. It's actually Giglia. So oh, my gosh. It's Italian. Right. Yeah, it's Italian, and Italian's just like messing with people. So they thought they'd like give me it. a name that people couldn't pronounce. <laughs> well, there's a running joke on the Where to Hunt podcast that I essentially butcher everyone's last name. No matter how simple it is, so I'm not surprised that I didn't get it right. But that's a, that is a trickier one. You're right. Yeah, you know, I th I, th I think I had heard it all. And uh, when I first came to New Mexico, um, the UPS guy came and he was looking for Mr. Hihilia. So that was that was different. <laughs> that's not bad. That's a pretty good attempt. No. That's probably yeah, closer than what I got. Well, so um, welcome to the show. You know, you do a podcast yourself, so you're not unfamiliar to this, but maybe the format. Um, you know, today we're going we're gonna to dive into some elk hunting, which will be a first for me, but why don't we take a minute to have you just kind of introduce yourself to the audience, tell them who you are, how long you've been hunting, do you hunt public land or private land, and 
and uh, take it from there. Yeah, way cool. So I have uh, been living here in New Mexico now. I've been here since 1980. I'm actually a, a backwoods Carolina boy, uh, raised in the in uh, both uh, North and South Carolina. I was born in Virginia, and uh, you know I raised in a in a family that uh, when I was young, my my real father was a fisherman. And he was an old salt and did a lot of fishing. Didn't really do a lot of hunting. Um, I actually started shooting the bow when I was when I was a kid, about six years old, just with the first bow he got me. But hunting actually didn't happen until later in my life because I was I was real fortunate in in one way. Um, I lost my dad when I was 13, and Gosh. you know I'm one of those guys that was pretty lucky to have had two good men in my life, and my stepdad is the one that introduced me to the outdoors. He's the one that introduced me to hunting. And at that time, hunting for our family was basically, um, it, was a, it was a way of life uh, to put food on the table. So we squirrel hunted, um, we duck hunted, we hunted doves. In fact, if you, you know, back in the Carolinas, dove hunting and squirrel hunting is like a little religion, you know. So uh, we always had places and we always hunted together, him and my brother and so that's pretty much where I got introduced to the outdoors. Um, I was shooting the bow then, so I hunted squirrels, I hunted doves, ducks, coon, anything I could and everything, you know, with the bow. Uh, didn't really get introduced to big game hunting until I came out to New Mexico after I graduated from high school. So I have actually been hunting elk for about 37 years. I I came out to New Mexico wow. in 1980, um, uh, met my wife, who we're now getting ready in the next couple of weeks, we're getting ready to celebrate our 37th anniversary. So Congrats. we met. Uh, you remember yeah. when it was. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we met uh, in college. I was the first and only person out of my family to ever go to school, So uh, uh, as far as going to college goes. And it was something new something different that hadn't been done. And when I came out here and we got married at a very young age of 20 while we were going to school, you know, my wife was like, you know, what, how, how we, how are we going to survive? And, you know, I just always have had this attitude that no matter what, because of the skill set that I learned back in the woods in the Carolinas, that no matter what I can survive, you know, a country boy can survive. Yeah. That's <laughs> so it was that Aaron, uh, can't think of his last name right now. But anyway, go on. Yeah, so um, I would use my bow, and I actually started deer hunting in New Mexico before I hunted anything. And, you know, I, I've always been a stalker, a stealthy-type hunter, and was the in the woods, I think I was 19 years old at the time, um, when I first started deer hunting here, and I was 20 when I was out in the woods and I saw my first elk and when I saw that elk, I was like, buddy, I'm home. Cause <laughs> I knew that, well, you talk about being able to put meat on the table and that's what it was all about when we were young. You know, when you're going to college two young college students, you can always tell college students cause they're the ones that they grab the, when you're at the gas pump, you know, and you get done, you grab the, the hose and you hold it up to get every drop and you know, we were trying to, we were those typical poor college kids and 
hunting and and using my bow to put food on the table was was a way of, a way of life for us and it just extended it just went from there when we first got our first jobs we both became teachers instructors and you know uh would not trade being a teacher and a coach for anything but it is not the highest paying job in the United States and you know still hunting and putting food on the table was a big part of our lives both my daughters were raised on wild game uh in fact I think we had elk last night our freezer always has elk meat in it and it's just it's just a way of life for us so that's pretty much how I got into hunting here in New Mexico was it was something to augment our table and actually provide. And when you ask about if I hunt public land, private land, or both, I've always hunted public land. Uh, I am a professional guide and I guide on private land. So I get the chance to see both sides of the fence and I get a chance to experience all kinds of different hunters in doing that. So uh, I get a pretty broad spectrum and have had a chance to really... um, meet some incredible people in those last 37 years of doing all this. I think I've been guiding professionally for about uh, close to 25 years. That's incredible. The amount of experience and knowledge you have, I know we've chatted offline a little bit here and there, and um, I can't imagine the type of data stored in your mind as it relates to elk hunting, which is why I'm so happy to have you (laughs) on as a guest. Um, Oh, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to do that, and that's a big part of this whole thing. And like I said, I've been a a coach and a teacher for, you know, I coached for 34 years. I taught for 30 years and that's pretty much what I do. And even when I'm out with buddies out hunting or when I'm guiding, I'm not a point and shoot type guide. I am a coaching guide. I like and love to teach people so they have a true experience so that they really understand what they're doing and get better at what they're doing and even think about doing it on their own. They don't need me. They can get rid of the pacifier, hopefully at some point. Nice, nice analogy. So my wife was a teacher. She's a stay-at-home mom now, which is a huge goal that we had a year and a half ago. And, you know, I can certainly relate to, you know, the lack of money to get paid for, especially as it compares to the amount of effort that they put in. But, you know, you'd mentioned you're a coach, too. And, you know, we, at this point, we can pivot a little bit into, you know, what you're doing with elk bros and blue collar elk, because from what I've tuned into uh, about four episodes and I made it, you know, in the different areas of each and watched some of the YouTube stuff that you have going on as well as some of the, the videos that you have. Right. And awesome. really, it sounds like you. It, yes, you're a teacher, but you have the heart of a teacher. So I'd be curious to well, know kind of you know, the how and why you got into all that and what that looks like for you. You know, it's basically, it's it's been the guys I hunt with. Um, they've been pretty much the driving force behind this because, you know, uh, I'll talk about Chav. You'll hear Chav, and if you've been on any of our episodes, you hear about Chav. Chav's my, uh, some people say brother-in-law in Spanish is concoño because we're married to sisters. And uh, he's been my best friend, and he's been my hunting partner for 37 years. I mean, he's been, I introduced him to hunting. He introduced me to coaching track and field. He was actually my mentor before I started doing that. And I mentored him and introduced him to hunting. And 
in that amount of time, there's been only a certain amount of people that we've really brought in to our world and of hunting and guys that we wanted to share our, our, our camp with. And, you know, I'm real particular about who I share my camp with, you know, and we've been real fortunate that some of the guys that we've had in camp and you, if you've listened to the episode, you've, you've heard uh, Gilbert Ornelas. Uh, Gilbert is actually from uh, Spring, Texas near Houston. And we've had some other guys you hear us talk about the Venezuelan mafia. And a lot of these are buddies that Gilbert has brought out for an experience to hunt with us. And, um, it's been those guys that I have been actually tutoring them, even though they've been in our hunt camp. I've been kind of, I've been guiding them. I've been teaching them. And, you know, they've been after me and other friends of mine that I've had in El Camp. I said, Joe, man, you know, dude, why haven't you written a book or why don't you do something so that you can share your experiences? And, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, I, I, I want to do that. And, but, you know, sitting down at the time and doing the whole typing thing and all this stuff and thinking about all this, you know, it was a different time than the publishing and all that. And, you know, Absolutely. it just didn't, yeah, it just didn't come forward. And then, you know, these guys have really like, you know, Joe, man, you teach so much. You've got to start sharing this stuff. And now with technology and being able to record and with YouTube and, you know, uh, what I taught in high school, Eric, was I I taught all of the media arts. So I taught broadcasting. I taught video production. I taught web design. I taught graphic design. And the skill set that I have teaching that stuff, it just so melded and applied to this format that, you know, it was last year, two of the guys, uh, Manano and Luis, were sitting with me, and they were like, you know, Joe, look, we don't know if it's money. We don't know if it's time. We don't know what's keeping you from doing this. But, brother, you you need to do something. And they are really the ones that made me believe that what I had was a value and that there were guys out there that wanted to do this. And when I started guiding people all these years, some of the the best friends in our life now are guys that came to us through the hunting world, guys that I developed relationships with, guiding, guys that I share my camp with. And it was really those guys, Eric, that um, really sprouted this whole thing and, and lit the fire under my butt. And, you know, there was a point where I said, you know what, you know, this is my media, this is my thing. Uh, I'm a coach. There are people that I'm coaching all the time and all these people that I think this could be a something of value for them. And, man, Elk Bros was born. And so I named that to honor those guys in my life, to honor Chav, to honor Gilbert, you know, to honor Manano, Luis, to the, the, the guys that have passed away in my life. I mean, I had uh, a great friend, Carl Gamage, that, um, that I lost back in uh, 14 who – I, I guided for, uh, I, I coached his kids, and, you know, uh, these are people that, man, you ride the river with these guys, and you spend elk camps with them, and you develop this brotherhood, and the memories and laughters that you share are, that is what makes life. I mean, it's it's those things that, you know, give you, hmm, 
reason, you know? Um, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, I have my group of, uh, of guys and, you know, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them, but that, those are the memories that I wouldn't say we live for them, but they're certainly, you know, some of the best memories that I have, you know, and that's why it's so fun oh, to get sure. together on a regular basis, you know? Yep. No kidding. And, you know, uh, I, I've got, I've had a lot of these guys that have been angels in my life and, you know, <laughs> the things that they say to me and the amount that they believe in me and what I do, my skill sets, my knowledge, the way I hunt, you know, I think they go way overboard with it, but, <laughs> you know, it, it sure is complimentary, the, the belief and value that they have and, and, uh, and how much they support me and the stuff. So, Blue-collar elk hunters basically, you know, was developed because I wanted it to go to and speak to the people that were just like me, that when I started hunting and shoot, I mean, I still, to this day, if I've got good weather, I'm hunting in runners, man. I'm hunting in tennis shoes. I, uh, you know, Chav and I lived off of a lot of bologna and peanut butter on hunts, and, you know, we... Uh, we couldn't have the biggest and best. We were Walmart sharp shoppers, but it didn't matter what we were putting on our back. It was our skill set that, you know, we went out every year and brought home an animal. And, you know, it, it wasn't until there was a buddy of mine that hunted with me for, I started out just teaching him and, he hunted with us for a number of years, and he started saying, you know, after I kill a certain one, he's like, Joe, do you realize you've killed an elk every year for 16 years? And I'm like, uh-huh, okay. One hell of a hot <laughs> streak. <laughs> you know, and I'm like. You're like, don't tell me that, know, and I'm not going to get one next year. Yeah, and, yeah. Well, I, you know, to me, it was like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's why I came out here. And, you know, I'm spending all this money. I'm spending time away from my family. Um my wife expects me to bring home an animal, man, and and uh, I, I never really thought about the fact of who was getting and who wasn't getting my job and what I felt was I'm going to go out there, I'm going to hunt hard, I'm going to hunt aggressive. Uh, I um, When I grab a bow and I walk into the woods, I, I become a different sort, and it's just one of those things that really comes natural to me. So... You know, that was years ago, and, you know, they've kind of kept tabs after all that. And uh, <laughs> I wanted people to know out there that you didn't have to have all the gear. You didn't have to have all of this money to go out and enjoy an elk hunt and have incredible experiences, uh, enjoy the woods, become of that, be part of that circle of nature. You know, it's not like... I didn't want that stuff, and do I have a problem with people that have the gear? Heck no. I mean, all of us want to get better stuff all the time. I just, in my blue-collar elk hunters, wanted people out there, guys and girls, to understand that if you don't have that stuff, it should not be keeping you out of the elk woods because you can make it happen. So that's that's where the blue collar part of it you know and where i try to speak to those people that are grinding it out every day and and you know as well as i do you're grinding it i don't care what your income level is man we're all out there grinding uh i as a as a guide i get a chance to meet all spectrums of the income level and the one thing i've learned is every single one of us have a limit 
every single one of us want a little bit more, and but every single one of us at the basic and most uh, primal part of us wants a great experience out there in the woods. So that's the part that resonates with me. I dig it. Um, you know, the part for me is adventure. In anything uncharted, breeds ad- adventure for me. I, I would say, so I'm seeing some people start to kind of funnel in here and there and, and pop in and pop out. And, you know, I, I know that the audience that I think I have on, on the show are primarily whitetail hunters. Now, I will say that it's my belief that whitetail hunting is the gateway drug to elk hunting. Would you agree with that, potentially? Oh, like, it, I know you got... <laughs> yes, most definitely. I mean, any kind of deer hunting. And, and actually, guys that deer hunt, there, there's some whitetail or muleys. There's some huge benefits that they bring with them from that. And there's some downfalls that they bring with that. And, and it's real easy to get over the downfalls and the, the benefit of being stealthy, of, of truly understanding the wind. Because, you know, you guys, all those whitetail hunters know, man, you know, whitetails are an elusive creature, and they smell you, they see you, uh, they have any idea that you're they're out of the country. So it's it's definitely a big plus, and you know, the the rattling and the calling mm-hmm. part of it mm-hmm. in the whitetail, you know, again, that's something that really uh, resonates with me because the whole thing about the elk hunting with me is. And I think a lot of turkey hunters understand this, too, is it's all about the calling, about speaking the language, playing their game, you know, understanding all of their habits, their language, what drives them, um, what doesn't drive them, and playing that game and beating them at it. You know, that's, uh, you know, hunters are competitive as heck, and as a coach, I was one of the most competitive. Uh, but I'm with you, too, in that, you know, some people, they ask, you know, Joe, well, the, you know, you say it was all about you getting an elk every year. Was it all about the kill? You know, that was my goal was to bring home. I think everybody goes into the woods with that tag wanting to bring that animal home. Yep. But what fulfills you is every day of that and every adventure like you said of that and those memories and those laughters and and the friendships you know i i guess that's one reason that i never became a a, a solo hunter and i mean solo in that just out there by myself the whole time i've done it but you know going out and even if i hunt solo during the day coming back to a camp and sharing those stories and all that laughter and uh, all that stuff, man, that's just, it's just so cool. Well, so I think that, um, you know, I was just actually talking to a friend on the way home today and we were talking about this episode in prep for it a little bit. And there's so many flavors to elk hunting as an, as an outsider looking in for someone who's never elk hunted, it's backpacking, it's camping, it's, extreme potentially extreme fitness um mm-hmm. it's the turkey calling aspect that you mentioned but with a big game animal um the the layers of things that you need to understand on every single front there's it's a it's a lot more dynamic i feel like it's a lot of different things put into one uh 
And it's a, it's a sense of adventure that, you know, I think that's probably for me, I've been purposely putting this off (laughs) (laughs) because I know my personality, I know what's going to happen. And, and what's going to happen is I'm going to get fixated on it and then I'm going to do it. So I went to the boundary waters a couple of years back with some good friends and we outfitted the whole thing ourselves. We plotted the, the points on the map ourselves. We didn't have a guide, an outfitter. We, you know, um, we dehydrated our own, we pre-cooked and dehydrated our own meals in our stoves and vacuum sealed them and had all that to eat while we were out there. Um, you know, we, we did everything on our, on our own out there. And I feel like if I were to do that and then add an element of bringing, you know, the weapon of choice and going into some serious uh-huh. backcountry and the boundary water is a serious backcountry, but different and thinking mm-hmm. about hauling an animal the size of an elk out of there, <laughs> there's just like... What do you even, what do you do with the meat? You know, like there, there's so many things. And so I, I kind of started to carve out a couple talking points for anybody in the whitetail side of things. And, and some of the audience likely have, have already gone elk hunting, but I think there's a good chance that the majority of them haven't. Um, the place where I think many might start would be, you know, drawing tags and, and doing some digital scouting and picking a state and a unit. And I don't even know what that looks like. You know, and so for someone yeah. that's out of state, like us Midwesterners, um, you know, I'm out of Wisconsin, you know, how do we start to unpack this? How do you approach it? Well, most of the guys that I get stuff from and a lot of the guys that uh, end up hunting with are guys that come from whitetail country. And uh, and they have a lot of uh, a lot of those same questions. And, and really... What what you got to remember is is that, and speaking towards archery or rifle, and it depends on each of the seasons, is that there is something that makes elk hunting so much easier than a whitetail hunt, than a mule deer hunt, and that is the fact that they're verbal. You know, these guys sound off, and that in itself adds a whole new element that uh, enables you to uh, not only locate, but then, you know, be successful, especially if you take the time to learn the language or to learn some of the skill sets. But yeah, you're right. So how do you unpack that? So if you want to come out and you want to come out to a Western hunt, there's some great tools out there that uh, I have never used because I have never I've never hunted out of New Mexico. I've always hunted state land. I've always hunted within three hours of where I live. Uh, I live close to the Colorado border, so I know a lot about southern Colorado, and i got a lot of buddies that guide on that side of it, and it's so much like this side. It's, you know, it's that imaginary line going across there. The animals don't yeah. care about it. But, right. you know... Uh, Funny how we think they do, though. Like <laughs> That's a real human trait to do that. <laughs> I'm glad you called that yeah. out anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, there's a great tool resource out there called Go Hunt. I, I've done a lot of research on it and seen, you know, what it is about, what you can do with it. And for people that are actually looking for places that they want to hunt, first of all, just do this. Find out what state is going to be most conducive for you to have the opportunity to do an elk hunt. Find out which state you would like to do an elk hunt in. And the reason I say that is is because if you have one that you would, you know, I want to hunt Wyoming or I want to hunt New Mexico or I want to hunt Colorado, then 
once you find out a little bit about them, there's different ways that you can have that ability to hunt. For example, in Colorado, there's an over-the-counter tag. So if I was somebody I would, and I had a state that I really wanted to try, like either New Mexico or Wyoming or Idaho or any of those states, I would then find out, okay, where is it I want to hunt there? And I would put in for their public draw for that area. And if I don't draw that, I've got you know, plan B, where I can go get an over-the-counter in a state that has some some of the most, the largest elk population in the country, in Colorado. So you can hunt elk if you just have a plan of where you want to go and, you know, if I don't get that, where I'm going to go. And now, let's say that you didn't get where you wanted to go. And it's where, you know, you're going to go in Colorado. Now you take a look at those over-the-counter areas. And now you've just simplified a whole ton of stuff that you have to worry about. Because there's only going to be certain over-the-counter areas available. For, and now you can do your research on that. And you can start making a plan and go get and, and, go get and have an experience. And I tell everybody, you know... My recommendation to you is if you're thinking about elk hunting, you want to have an experience, go do it. And you can do it. You can go to um, Colorado, get an over-the-tag count, and have an incredible experience. And you're going to have an elk encounter. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm waiting. I'll probably get somebody who says, Joe, you told me I'm going to have an encounter. <laughs> I went over there and I didn't see your squat. Best, your, but... your best odds of success are to start with a high, you know, high population density of elk in a certain state. If that's Colorado, that's sure. probably if you're if you're a beginner, right? That's that's a really good way to look at it. I mean, that's how I've done, you know, picking spots to hunt whitetails. I look at, you know, where were the most whitetails tagged the last season or two, or and I try to find those trends and figure, okay, well, where are we going to go? And and you know, we've been hanging on the same neck of the wood, so to speak, for a couple of years now because we've done a good job. Um, Bruce Ritter Clark just popped in. He says, what's up, fellas? So what's up, Bruce? If you want to call in, the number's on the bottom of the screen. If you've got any questions for Joe talking about elk hunting, we'd love to have you on the show with us. Um, I'll just put that plug out there for anybody else tuning in. You know, uh, something I want to tell you that a lot of people don't know about and people miss the boat on this is that in New Mexico, if you don't draw, uh, and what's great about our state is there is no point system. Everybody has the opportunity to draw. There is a percentage of what goes out to certain people uh, on our draw system. For example, in our public draw, 84% of that of all tags drawn are going to go to residents in New Mexico. And then 6% of the tags available are going to go to out-of-state applicants. But there's another 10% that is what we call the outfitter pool. And the outfitter pool is, um, you know, guys can actually work with outfitters, and there's all different buffets of what you can do uh, to do that, to be able to get into an area. Any of the public areas in our state, to be able to hunt. But there's something that a lot of people miss out on, and that's something called landowner tags. And it is a great thing to look into because depending on where you go, the type of landowner that you're dealing with, 
those costs for that tag, you know, after what I see, what some people pay to other areas, could pretty much be in the same ballpark. And so here's here's something that a lot of people don't know. For example, we have um, we, it used to be called the E program. It's not calling that anymore. But certain people that own an area of land in New Mexico, if they agree with Game and Fish to let their land um, be used unit-wide by public hunters, then they can receive tags for their property because all landowners will receive a certain amount of tags for the size of their land, if there's so much elk or activity, whether they get two tags or whether they get 20 or whether they get 100. Well, some of these ranches might only be 200 acres. And so if I can get three tags for my land, it doesn't make sense for me to sell those to somebody and say, well, these are ranch-only tags. You can hunt on 200 acres for elk. That's not going to happen. So what a lot of those people do is they agree with Game and Fish to let their land be hunted on, and they will get what they call unit-wide landowner tags. So now if they are in unit, let's just throw a number out, unit 8, and they're in, in unit 8, and somebody purchases a unit-wide landowner tag from them, they can hunt their place, but they can hunt anywhere within Unit 8 with that tag. So those are available at all different price ranges from different people and different places that um, within the state. So that's an opportunity. You're not hunting private land, per se. You're hunting public land, but you're purchasing that tag to be able to do that. Now, when you purchase that tag, you still have to purchase the out-of-state license. So that's something for, for people to understand. So I just want to throw that option out there. No, that's a good point. Um, and with that, we do have a caller, so I'm going to go ahead and bring him in. Um, the auto screen, I don't know if it got it right, but uh, welcome to the show. You're live on the Where to Hunt podcast. <laughs> What's up, man? Haas. Haas, how's it going? It's been a minute. Oh, there's yeah, a name. I love that man. name. You, uh, I didn't, we didn't talk about this when I had you on as a guest, but, um, do you hunt elk? Have you done that before? Actually, that's kind of why I called in, man. I listened to the first part of it and what he was saying. And, you know, I live in Arizona. I was born and raised in Arizona and I have yet to draw a tag. I have like 13 points now as a resident and was unable to hunt elk in my own home state. And I had an opportunity last year to uh, to go to Colorado, just like he was saying, man. I said, screw it, I'm going to go buy a tag, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to learn. And, you know, whether you do it DIY or if you decide to go with an outfitter of some sort, um, it, use it as a learning experience. There's a lot of elk out there. And, you know, I, I, we went with a guide, you know, and uh, I used that guide to be a learning tool. Because when you can't get out and hunt the animal you're choosing, because you want to go out and hunt, man, use a guide, go to Colorado if that's what you need to do, and use it as a learning tool. I think that's, that's something that people really need to, a lot of people like frown on guides, right? I know you guys are really big on, like, DIY, but using a guide for the first one or two trips out can give you boots on the ground experience and use it as a learning experience to then convert to DIY and do it yourself. That's a great, that's a great point. And, and Joe, just so you know, um, Haas was on a couple episodes ago. He's with ethics archery. 
So we had a great episode um, about the, the product that he sells for um, kind of getting some force behind your arrows. No, I actually insurance policies, that. I would call it. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, in, in fact, I think that really um, resonates with what we're talking about because, you know, yeah. one of those downfalls a lot of times that guys come out with the whitetail is, is their equipment. And our goal, my goal as a hunter and my goal as a guy to, is to ensure that I get two holes. Uh, I want to pass on an animal. So what you guys were talking about was huge in that. Oh, so you got a chance to listen, man. That's great. What'd you think? No, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was something that uh, everybody should should listen to and understand. You know, um, when we were talking about uh, elk bros, and, and one of our goals is that, you know, we want to make sure that we coach others to be as confident, to make sure they get the fulfillment, and to be successful while they're out there. And a big part of that is it's it's ethics. It's ethics, it's etiquette, uh, a lot of those things, and ensuring that what you're doing is the most that you can do to ensure a good, quick, responsible kill. And I thought y'all's episode was something that everybody should hear. Awesome, man. I appreciate that. You know, I think it's a big thing in the industry, especially when you start talking about, like with, with elk hunting, when you guys are talking about this, that conversion between, you know, your your everyday uh Whitetail hunter, the guy that's been hunting whitetail his whole life and wants to venture out west. Um, I think that's something that's very, um, I think it's undertaught. You know what I mean? The industry doesn't teach it enough, and a lot of these guys don't know. And I'm sure you as a guy, you see it all the time. Guys from the Midwest show up for an elk hunt, and their equipment is kind of under par for what they're trying to do. I'm sure you see it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, you know, it, there's this mystique about it. And, you know, it's kind of like me, you know, wanting to go hunt moose up up in Canada or something like that. There's this mystique about it. But, you know, I, I think there's so many things that uh, that could make it a successful experience for anybody that comes out west. And if you are a whitetail hunter, you have skill sets already that are going to you know, help you out with that. The one skill set that you have that you want to throw out totally is that thing about being quiet and moving slow and, and you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. Oh, loud. yeah. You can be loud. They're loud when they move. They don't spook like white bill do. Oh, no, man. <laughs> no, it, it, you're you're talking about an, a, a, an animal the size of a horse that makes a lot of noise and, you know, you can get away with a lot on their ears. You can get away with some things on their eyes. You're not going to get by their nose. But I have done things where I've actually ran up to an elk that they couldn't see me, and they think I'm another bull running in to, to scrap with them, hearing that noise, and here they come. So, you know, being loud just like the other elk actually relaxes them. Now, when you're silent and they see you moving, that's when They're they like, freeze. wait a second. Yeah, interesting. Okay. See, this is yeah. such a deep topic. Yeah. This, this is why, you know, Joe, we're going to have you back on a couple of times so we can continue to, to you know, peel the layers back on this one. I think there's going to be just shrouds of information that we're going to want to cover that we're not going to get to in one show for good oh, reason. Sure. I, it, there's no way. If we cover one show, like, geez, everyone would be elk hunting. That's not how it works. Well, you know, not that I uh, want to have well, this. Uh... I'm sorry, bud. I said when you were 
calling in, or when I was calling into the show, you were kind of tapering off what you were mentioning. Is like something you want to do, um, get out and do it, right? And that was kind of where I was at last year. You know, I'm, I'm a big dude. You know, I mean, I'm 6'3", 367 pounds. <laughs> the <Elkwoods are laughs> You're hot. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, here's the thing. I knew it was going to be a challenge, you know, um, extreme, uh, especially on the physical side of things, right? Right. And I set my mindset to it that if you just get through the pain, you get through the, you're going to have situations out there eventually where you're going to want to quit, you know? And sure. you got to get through it. you got to keep put, keep going forward. And uh, when you do that, you can be successful. And it's, there's a big stigma right now within, I think, what I was experiencing within, like, the elk hunting community. When somebody from a deer hunter's perspective looks at the guys that hunt elk, you know, you don't need to be able to run up mountains and carry rocks on your back and do all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Does it help? Absolutely. It is definitely something that's good to be in shape. But if you're not, don't let that keep you on the couch, man. Get out there and hunt. Yeah, so so great story uh, is that you you buddy are are God the, your size and everything reminds me so much of the the story of one of my best friends that I, I just talked about uh, Gilbert Ornelas. You know when I started first hunting with Gilbert, he wanted to hunt with me, and Gilbert was the same size and weight as you, man. And and I was like, you know, Gilbert, dude. I said, you know, bud. Um, I want to take you, but it my style of hunting does not is not going to be beneficial for you right now. And and I believe that guys, even in your like you, you're correct. You're totally correct. You don't have to be running all over the mountains. However, being in the better shape you are in, the more opportunities you're going to get it's it's directly proportional Absolutely. in that because Absolutely. it just I agree with that. <laughs> yeah so it actually became an you know because he got hooked on that crack is <laughs> like he likes to say it uh it was a life-changing experience and so he's gone from you know 365 he's down to i think he's down to 250 now and it's just wow. because he you know, and I, I really, I'm just so proud of him because you know it is it's a it's a life changing thing, and it's something that he chose to do because he wanted to be with me, chasing those critters in a whole different way. Now, like you said, yeah. there are so many different ways to hunt them uh, that it's it's not something that has to happen. Is it going to help you? Most definitely. Absolutely, and I, I agree. It, it definitely helps being in the best shape you can be in. But I want people, me personally, I try to explain to people, you know, don't let it stop you, though. You know what I mean? No. Get out there, you know, and like I said, if you got to go with an outfitter, explain your situation. And, you know, you can sit water holes. You can, you, there are other areas of a state. You can do your research on a state and find out, you know, this this area holds elk. It's not, doesn't have all the elevation changes. It's not as extreme. You know, tailor it to where your, your fitness level sure. is, but don't let it yeah, no, there, and there's and there's so many areas that aren't the vertical like a lot of those mountain states, and we have a lot of them right here in New Mexico that, you know, you're going to do some hills here or there, but you're not going to do anything like some of those uh, 
you know, alpine areas and stuff like that. So there's there's all kinds of buffet of areas for people to hunt. But I but I want to ask you a question, Bud. I, the next time you go to hunt elk, you think you're going to be the same weight? No, I've actually lost uh, 36 pounds since then because I'm going on another elk hunt this year. See, there's my nice, point dude. right there. That's that is so awesome. But there's my point. So to your point. Anybody out there, anybody that's even thinking about doing this, get your butt out here and hunt this critter because the first time you have an encounter, the first time you have one of them things come up and scream in your face and everything Uh-oh. that you thought you knew about That's hunting just, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's going got, to become life-changing. It. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes life-changing, and I guarantee you the next time you get in those woods, you're going to be in better shape the next time, even better. Yep. It is a life-changing experience. I truly believe that. I tell you what, you know, you get out and you do it. You know, you see it from a TV, it's one thing. You hear people talk about it, it's one thing. But I'm going to tell you right now, I was unsuccessful as far as a harvest uh, mm-hmm. on my elk hunt. Uh, I, had some, I had an encounter with two bulls. Um, right about the 60-yard mark. They were just in the oak brush. One step out, so I didn't actually get to shoot. But I, I drew back six times. Right. And uh, it was close. And I tell you what, just that adrenaline rush right there, whether you're doing it DIY or you're doing it with a guide, I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of guys want to put a dollar value on it. I'm going to tell you right now, that dollar value from, and this is just from experience, is going to be in your mind the whole time until you have that encounter. And that goes out the window. You don't even care about that anymore. <laughs> yeah, you. if you talk to my buddy Gor- oh. Gilbert Ornelas, the first time that he actually uh, shot a bull, you know, I talked to this guy like earlier that day, and, and this is a guy that, you know, he hunts South Texas, and he kills whitetail after whitetail, pig after pig, and he's telling me, he's like, Joe, man, he's like, I, dude, I kill so many whitetail. This is, you know, just get it in front of me. I'm going to seal the deal. And he gets a bull that comes in 17 yards, and he shot it for 40. And he's like, dude, everything I learned just went out my butt crack, man. I don't know what happened. So, yeah, there's such a huge, intimidating, and majestic animal. Until you experience that, you don't understand it. I dig it. So with you being a guy, would you agree as a guy? Uh-huh. Even if somebody was up front with you and said, hey, look, I've never hunted elk. I want to learn. My goal is to actually do a DIY in the future and kill a bull by myself in the woods. I want to come with you as a learning experience. Do you take that as a compliment? Do you think that that's a good thing, a bad thing, as a guide? Because I've so they never a lot even of people trying to argue. That no, they don't, don't even have to say that now. to me because... The experience they're going to get with me from the first place is, is I, I'm, I'm a coaching guide. I, it's just how I am. And my goal is is I want people to learn more about that animal, and I want them to go, if they want to do a DIY, you know, dude, just write me about it. Tell me the stories, man. I, I, I want to hear about your experiences because that makes me feel like I've done something for somebody Um uh, it, I get such intrinsic value out of it. No, it's not an insult in any way, not at all. That's great to hear, man. And, and honestly, the way you said it, as a coach, I think that's that's that's. 
I mean, get drop the word guide in your title and call yourself an out coach, and then people are going to so, come to you to, to get that coaching. That's something totally different, unique. So the whole idea of Elk Bros, the whole idea of our Blue Collar Elk uh, Academy that we're creating is we are elk hunting coaches. And so our goal is to coach others to be confident, you know, to coach them how to be successful, to give them, just like any coach does with their athletes, to give them skill sets, to teach them how to be prepared, both mind and body. So that is the whole different thing about what we're doing is is we are elk hunting coaches. And, uh, you know, we're doing that through our podcast. We're, we got stuff going on YouTube and on our website, we have the academy that we're building right now that um, is going to be subscription-based content that is going to coach people. So, yeah, that's awesome. no, that's exactly how – that's what our program is about. That's awesome. I, and the reason why I bring that up is because I think there's a lot of people out there that have that drive and they have that want to do elk hunting, but they're, they, they have that right. knowledge, right? And right. I that they need to open their minds up and and really look at things in that perspective. And Shoot, Hoss, all you got to do is open your computer up, man. I mean, <laughs> there is so much oh, yeah. free content, so much information. You know, you got, you know, just like what Eric's doing here for whitetail hunters, you know, we got us guys that are doing it for elk hunters. Um, you know, our podcast, man, we are just giving so much out there to hopefully pull people in, give them opportunity to make them believe and understand that they can do this. This is not some fantasy place out there or something that you have to, you know, pay thousands and thousands of dollars to do. It's within everybody's ability to be able to do this. I love it, man. No, yeah, and I think you've done a great job. But the episode that I listened to the other day that, that you were doing um, was talking about just what you had said, you know, like trying to help people and pull them in and keep, I mean, you don't, it's not that difficult to figure out, so to speak, right? You can just kind of start to dive in. And you, I think you'd mentioned like, you know, when we started doing this, we being you guys, you know, 30 some years ago, we didn't have all of these resources. We didn't have podcasts yeah. or YouTube, you know, we had to, get the experience every, every fall and learn and iterate from there. So, right. yeah, I mean, you're absolutely correct. No, it's, 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 you have so many advantages today. If anybody even considers doing this, I mean, there's so many things you can, in learning the whole thing I think that separates my skill set out is I, I am a solid hunter. Uh, I'm stealthy. Uh, I shoot, I don't, with my bow, I'm instinctive. Uh, I shoot compound, but I shoot instinctive. I shoot fingers. Uh, I always have ever since I was young. That's just my what I'm comfortable with. Uh, but I think the big thing that separates me is, uh, number one, being able to speak the language, and number two, um, really knowing how to finish when I get around those critters in a tough situation, like what Haas was talking about when that heart starts coming out your mouth. You know, understanding how to put yourself in the best position uh, to have the best shot and ensure that you're able to finish that out. Well, Haas, dude, thanks so much for calling into the show, man. I appreciate that a whole bunch. And I think, you know, for anyone that doesn't know Haas and Ethics, you know, go go check those guys out too for sure. I mean, I think your product, um, if, 
if it's not already being used by a number of elk hunters, it really seems like it'd make a ton of sense. And for those checking out Hostin Ethics, if you want to learn more um, from how we kind of took a, a, an approach at it, it was episode 82 of the Where to Hunt podcast. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was uh, a couple weeks ago, actually. Keep doing what you're doing, man. I love what you guys do as well, and uh, thank you. I think we're all on the, all on the right track of, of putting more education out there, real education, not just marketing. Yeah, absolutely. No, man. no, yeah, yeah. Coming no, from, you're right. Coming for me, the you guy know, wearing all this backwards grind coffee gear, but <laughs> well, you know, uh, <laughs> to help people out, you know, stay awake out there. You know, you know? <laughs> uh, I, you know, we all have to keep the lights on and pay the bills but uh if, if we can do it in ways and and make sure that we're keeping pure content and and giving people uh, a quality experience and and making them understand that this is something that everyone can do because be successful at no matter what their income or experience level uh, i think it's a plus plus win-win i appreciate you coming on man uh, thanks for having me guys i'll get off here hey, and uh you listening and my email is joe at elkrose.com. You know, uh, when you do go yeah. on, on on that hunt, you know, you know, you know, ring me up, and and I want to hear how you did, and and I'm interested to hear about uh, uh, your journey on this elk hunting experience. Oh, for sure, man. We'll, we'll definitely have to talk about it for sure. Awesome. All right, guys. Have a good one. Yeah. You too, bye. So that was way cool. It's one of the favorite. The, it's one of the things I love most about doing it this way. Is first of all, you never know. It's, it's like the Forrest Gum quote. It's like a, like a, a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So every episode's a little bit different in that regard. But you know, if you're willing to come back on and, and dive deeper through this with with oh, us folks to. here in the Midwest, all those whitetail guys, I would love that. And I think the audience would appreciate it too because this is something that we're barely even scratching the surface of. Um, but I'd love to pivot into your most memorable hunt. If we're talking about trying to get people interested in and peaking their interest in, in elk hunting, um, what better way than a story, right? So we can get into all those other things the next go around too and dive deeper into those various segments and to scouting and getting in shape and what weapons and bullets and footwear and et cetera, et cetera. And you have a lot of that information on your website too, and we'll get to that towards the end. But if you haven't been thinking about your most memorable hunt, or if you have, I'd love to hear that. Well, um, probably, probably the the most, some of the most memorable for me aren't even when I killed. It's it's when you know I called one for Chav and his first experience. And and let me tell you, Gilbert, I, you know I uh, I brought in the bull for Gilbert, his first kill, on that. And if you'd have seen that guy when uh, we found that bull, uh, little tears coming out of his out of his eyes, hugging people around him, like it was just true genuine gratitude and happiness for the experience and and those really resonate for me for for my personal experience uh my favorite hunt that i i probably remember the most is is uh is a herd bull that that i took early early in my career and and it was probably one of the greatest learning experiences and i i did some things in that 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 taught me stuff that i still utilize today but I basically got on a herd uh, about three in the morning in the moonlight and and pretty much traveled with this herd about five miles. And once I got daylight and was able to work the, trying to get 
that bull was on the other side. It was just such a big group. It had multiple bulls through it, uh, a lot of satellites, and it was just one of those tough things that, you know, trying to get to the bull that I wanted. And uh, it, and I, I generally, I'm not one that passes on an animal. But when you're in a group that you've been working and this guy is screaming and one of the weaknesses of us as callers is we have this desire to just about call in everything. And and I had set it as my goal, man, that guy was sounding off and he, he was the one that I wanted. And and I knew he was mature, smart, big herd bull, and I knew how hard it was going to be. And this was like the second day of the hunt. So I'm I'm working through here, and I'm traveling with this herd. Every now and then, I'd blow up a cow to the side, and I'd just start talking to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd settle her down because we're in this thick oak brush, and they catch movement, and they think it's another part of the herd, dude. It's not like it freaks them oh out God. like a whitetail. You know, and, and they couldn't really see me completely, and I start talking. They settle down. This happened a few times. And I'm traveling with this group, and I had tried everything in my repertoire to try to pull this bull. I tried pulling the cows to me, but there was such a big group of cows that when I pull some, you know, he was still following a cow that he was scent checking. And, and so he, I just couldn't get him there. And, you know, I started at 3 in the morning, and it was about, God, travel five miles. It's about 945 I had gone up where I thought they were up on this big hill, and I've been up and down with these guys. And I get up on this hill, and I'm thinking, man, I've got them just right over here. And, and, I, and I don't see them. And I look down, and they're heading down in an opposite direction that I just came. And I'm just like, at this point, it's been, you know, <laughs> 3 to 9.45, right? So we're All talking right. about six hours and stuff that I've been with this group, and frustration set in. And I was like, you know what, man? I just got so full of frustration. I got so aggressive that I started sprinting down this hill through this. It's like scrub oak and big trees. And I'm taking my arm and I'm just, I'm just cracking branches as I go down this hill. And I get all the way down to the bottom of it. And I'm breathing hard. And I, and I sat down. And I was like, all right, man, you know, if they're not going to, you know, he's not going to work the way I did, I'm going to quit trying to work him, and I'm going to tell him I'm the baddest dude in the woods. So I, I sat down, and I put three different diaphragms on my on my leg, and they were all different types of latexes. And what I did was I started sounding off, first of all, in three different directions, and it was just kind of like a location-type deal. And I, and I made one bull sound like a herd bull that had some cows with him that he was getting a little bit aggressive with the other bulls. And I, I started raising the tempo and raising the intensity like they were all converging on this one herd bull that had himself a hot cow. And as I told this story, as I did this, I called it putting on a show, basically, is what I was doing. I, I just said, screw that bull over there. I'm going to make this sound like it is the most crazy thing going on over here that he won't be able to resist. And I can look out and I could see through this park underneath this pine and I could see two spikes sitting in a park about oh, 150 yards out. And I'm raising the intensity. I'm making it go nuts like that. And all of a sudden I see those spikes snap their head off to a side looking away from me. And I see these legs start coming through and I couldn't see the body because 
the way the jack pines grow here, they're usually, you know, you, you got a space up to about four feet uh, up that's that's clear underneath of it, but it's real thick above it. So I could I could see the legs coming, and all of a sudden these spikes jump up and start heading in another direction, and legs start coming towards me, man. They're coming up. I'm like, yeah, baby, something's getting ready to happen. And Eric, all of a sudden, he had to go underneath some tree branches, and he lowered his horns to bring them under and around. And when I saw this guy, dude, I kid you not, man, my heart literally started pounding out my mouth. I mean, and I'm like, Joe, get it together here, bud, you know. And this bull starts closing in, and he's coming in, and he's looking for this other bull, and he's looking for this activity that's going on, and he's coming from 60, 50. And next thing I know, he is 20 yards away from me, and this is where I learned one of the biggest lessons uh, of my life was this bull came in, and he started, he turns broadside, and at 20 yards, he starts to go broadside, and he stops perfectly at 20 yards. I'm down on my knees. I have uh, an arrow up on my bow, and I'm looking, and he has this tree perfectly in the kill zone. And he's looking through me, trying to find these other animals, and I always set up with brush behind me to break me up, and so that the vision of what I was doing behind me is broken, so he can't necessarily see where they're at. So this bull's standing there, and he's looking, and he's looking, and and I believe in senses. I believe in the sense of the, the eyes, the nose. I believe in the, the, the sense of taste, the sense of hearing, but I also believe in the sixth sense. And one thing I always was taught from young when I was stealthy in the woods is don't look an animal in the eyes. They will feel it. So I'm staring at his feet, man, and I'm just waiting. I'm going, step out, step (laughs) out, step out. And uh, he starts to take a step in what seemed like months. He finally steps out. And as he steps out and he clears, and I have that broadside, I scream a bugle as I'm drawing at the same time. He stops and looks at me. And the moment, buddy, I don't even remember the release. All I remember is seeing my Fletch Barry right in that sweet triangle behind the shoulder, him digging in and turning out. And, I mean, just the adrenaline flow after everything that I just saw. All I could do was drop back on my back, man, and just start almost hyperventilating trying to get my air. You know, it was just so intense, and it was so cool. And this bull uh, goes down, he, and probably because he had a full head of steam going downhill, it was about 100 yards from where I hit him. And uh, it, it was when I, when I found him and I located him, and I stepped up. He's so majestic. And, you know, I always do a prayer uh, over my animal, and it was probably that being as young as I was and with everything, all the emotions throughout that entire day to have it end like that uh, and soaking in that moment and just replaying that whole thing in my mind over and over again was just so phenomenal that, you know, it filled me up for hunt after hunt after that, you know. That's uh, incredible. 
like Haas said, dude, it, it, it's in your mind forever. That's incredible. That's a hell of a story. Do you have a picture of that one that I can use for the, the episode cover? If not, it's okay, but man, so that would be actually, a good one. So <laughs> actually, if you go on you go on uh my instagram you'll see that you'll see there's one bull there it's uh you know a throwback thursday type deal that i have him on there but you bet i can i can send you a pic of that rock on that'd be great that'd be super great so oh boy we're gonna talk a lot i think we're gonna become pretty good friends <laughs> we're gonna find <laughs> out what you charge for guide service and we're gonna we're gonna get something on the calendar <laughs> soon it's a, it's a goal of mine and that I'm working towards so and I like to hit my goals but where can people find you how do they get in touch you know in what ways should they be reaching out for the different things that you do so go to elkbros.com and at elkbros.com um you can find everything there you can get connected and subscribe to our vids um which is ever growing a lot of our stuff's not on there now because it's being built for our academy um as far as instructional vids all of our podcasts are on there i've got one piece on uh, a couple of them like i have i am a hunter on there um i've got which is just something that it just comes from my heart uh all you can all the links to go to any of the podcasts on there our podcast is called blue collar elk hunting and uh man all last week we were like 60th on uh on the itunes chart pretty much all week uh, for the for the outdoors, so so stoked with where it's where it's gone from. Because Eric, I remember when we first started, we were like, "Dudes, we got 30 listeners," <laughs> you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, that it, matters. It's just, yeah, it does. It's just been blowing up, so it's so cool. So they can go to elkbros.com. If they join our camp there at the bottom, just scroll down and join our camp. They'll always be in the know. They'll get all kinds of information and. They can always email us at info at elkbros.com. Questions, comments, uh, you know, good or bad. And like Gilbert says, you know, if you have something bad to say, keep it to yourself. <laughs> but uh, we like all feedback, man. If if you think there's a way we can improve yep. things that you're looking for, you know, write us. Cool. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule with everything you got going on with teaching, coaching, and everything in with Elk Bros and Blue Collar Elk and guiding and everything, you know, it always means so much anytime we get a guest on. So I appreciate you being so um, good about being on the show and working through my technology things on the, on the very onset of it. Oh, so it means a ton. Yeah, I'm sorry, dude, because, I, you know, sometimes I get a little bit hyped up about, and uh, I'm just one of those type of people who get really pumped and passionate about things and hope I didn't blow out your audio. <laughs> no, man, that's something you never have to apologize for. That's the best thing. And usually I have that problem. So it's nice to hear it coming from a different person, so it's a, it's totally awesome. okay. Totally enjoyed it, man. Thanks for letting me tell the story and uh, and and really enjoyed uh, having a caller come in. That's way cool. Hell yeah! Well, you have a great night, and uh, we'll, we're gonna end the live broadcast here. So everybody, thanks for tuning in. A quick call out for anybody that's still on here. The left side of the screen, you notice uh, Backwoods Grind Coffee Company. Uh, they are the sponsor of the podcast. That's how I get the energy to do this every single Tuesday. So if you want 10% off, you want to give them a try, uh, backwardsgrind.com, you enter the code W2H podcast and you get yourself some backwards grind. I'm currently drinking uh, a bag of the camp house blend, which I really like. And my wife likes it too, but there's lots of other blends to try out there. So I'll, I'll end with that. Everybody that watched, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks guys. Okay. So you've made it to the tip of the week. 
I never have the best hits. They're all pretty, you know, me. They're all okay. They're the okayest tips from the okayest podcast from Wisconsin's okayest hunter. Now, the tip of the week this week is to start. And and I take that away. I always try to take a tip away from the guests that I have on the show and the and the subject matter and the topic and all that stuff. And really my big takeaway, you know, from from Haas calling in and talking with Joe is to start. And, you know, I've taken a page out of my own playbook by simply doing this episode. For me, that is a start. And it's the, in, I don't know if it, the word is inaugural, but it is me starting down a path and a journey. So it'll be fun to see how this starts to unfold and for everybody listening, you know, and following along on the weekly episodes where this journey is going to end up in the next two years, because it is a goal that I have to, to go on an elk hunt, whether that's with a guide or DIY, you know, I'm not even sure yet, but for me, it's a matter of starting and, and to start, you have to decide. And so I'm deciding that that's what I want to do. And so my, my tip of the week is to start and, and for everyone else out there, um, just decide what is it that you want to achieve and what is it that you want to do and what is it that you're going to start doing to achieve that and make that happen. And the best way to do that is to just start. And so Nike might say, just go do it or just do it or whatever their tagline is. But uh, today's tip of the week is a start. So that's what I'll leave everybody with. I appreciate you all tuning in. Again, it does mean a ton to me. And uh, if you want to give me a review, that'd be great. If not, that's great too. If you want to pass uh, along the podcast and share with a, a hunting buddy, That'd be neat too. Anyways, I hope everyone enjoyed. Have a great day and hunt public. are where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.